Courts podcast. Um, another week, another podcast on a roll. Uh, this week we bring our September guest a little a little late, but we're happy to have her um, in October. October will now be a double guest month. Ooh, we're we're making up for our our our, our September. Right. Um, if um, the song you heard at the top of the show was "Fly with Me" by our guest Rashmi, so welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad I was able to get you on. Um, I met Rashmi at the Way Station, where I meet all local musicians these days. Well, it's pretty much a hub for local musicians in in Lower Brooklyn. Yeah, or even like just Brooklyn. the Way Station podcast at this point. Well, not quite. We wanted. We to haven't based had, on our guest list. Well, we haven't had the uh, the purveyor of the Way Station on yet, though. We're working on that. And we yeah. also still are trying to figure out how to do a podcast in there. the Way Station. It's just a little noisy. Uh, and, and so, um, thank you for. Agreeing to do the show and performing, um, the song was great. I I really like "Fly with Me," though I'm familiar with your last your EP "Rainstorm." These you inform me the songs you're performing today are from a new record coming out. Yes, we're um, you know I and my band we are re- rehearsing right now to record the next album, um, and hopefully we'll do that this month, cool. and then uh, it should be out like December or January. So everything. I sing on the show today is new. Great. And new the, that unreleased. Unreleased. And what's the, the name of the new record? It'll be called Puzzle. Cool. Which is the name of another song. Excellent. Awesome. Very cool. Puzzle. Well, How puzzling. Exactly. <laughs> I had to do it. Yeah, of course you did. Um, so, so thank you for coming on the show. And you brought us um, Madonna's True Blue. That's right. So um, what made you choose this record? It's a classic. It's just really great pop music. And um, I just really love how um, just the sound of it in terms of like the production and how it, 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 it um, I don't know, I feel like it's her quintessential album. It's really a fun, uh, a fun CD with a lot of 
it's actually has a lot of variety, even though sometimes um, you it, would think that it wouldn't. It really is a it's a, just a really great CD. It has variety within a certain framework because obviously this is a retro album. We should point out it's 1986. It's a Madonna well, the highlight of her, her it's career. It's not 1986. 1986. It's, it's twenty. It, we're it, 20, it, 2014. The it, album. It is 1920, <laughs> referring to it, the thing yeah. that we're doing. Um, and obviously, it's going to be embedded in that time period and. To be fair, we don't usually do retro reviews, but we try to encompass the fact that it is of its time. So we're looking through the lens of its time, kind of ignoring what came out recently, because obviously a review couldn't count that stuff. Yeah. Because obviously then you can't, you know, at the time it didn't number. exist. Yeah. I mean, you can review it on its impact in modern music culture too, but that's a different kind of review. Too. Yeah, that would be very different. Yeah. I would say um, treat it as the pop that came out for its time, which was very influential to modern stuff, so I think it's appropriate. And there's a lot of connection back and forth that we make throughout listening to the album, so... And it, it actually been a while since I've heard this record, but after listening to it, I went, oh, I know that song, and that song, and that song. Though, there, for, for me, there was one or two that I didn't quite remember, or even, I don't think I may have even heard before, so that was that was fun itself. To just discover new Madonna stuff so much later on. Well, it's not really new. But I had never gone really through new. her entire discography before. In fact, this is the first Madonna album I've ever listened to in its entirety. So, really? yeah, no, really. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so we'll get right into the first track, which was one of her huge hits that year, too. I think it was the first single off the record, which is Papa Don't Preach, which is probably one of her more well-known songs. Papa Don't Preach. I'm in well, trouble deep. It's, it has... The sexiest track on the album. The <laughs> a joke for As the, the joke was made. Yeah. Uh, Papa Don't Preach is... At least of the time, and even nowadays, I would consider it a, a definitely a little bit of a turn from your, your standard pop song, only because of the content itself. Uh, it's, it's a coming of an age, but on a different take that you normally don't see. It, it, instead of being, I'm all grown up right now, it actually is a specific one-on-one -on -one kind of an idea. That, that's a, a very unusual, well, and that's really appreciative. I, this is one of the few times... I think Madonna's one of the few times where I can go, the lyrics are really good. One of the few pop stars outside of like the true, the other true super hits like Paul McCartney or Michael Jackson where the lyrics are, are as influential as the music itself because of the content it brings to the table. I'm going to argue on one thing here because I would not say that this, the lyrics themselves, I mean... I think they're good, but I don't think it's necessarily a new concept. I think there's definitely been that one-on-one -on -one idea going back to 50s pop songs. But definitely the case, kind of stuff you'd find in the Beatles. That, that one -on -one case, it tends to be a exists. slower, this is a, this is a much more energized song. You usually get a more contemplated, slower idea. It's a weird combination. That's why the, the way in which this is pushing boundaries, as far as I'm concerned, is all based on the music. It's based on the fact that there's much more time spent to explore the mood of this one-on-one -on -one dynamic. For instance, the intro is considerably long for an intro. You get this sort of swelling string... Uh, yeah, great violins. Yeah, great on. violin work in general, and it's, it's considerable length. For a pop song, it, it, it's, it's odd. It goes on for somewhere upwards of 35 seconds, which doesn't seem long in the grand scheme of things, but for pop, that's a long time. That's like a, that's like a decade. Well, I also really like that the emotionality of this song is it, it starts off as this confident, like, you know, Dad, don't tell me what to do. I'm an adult. I can handle myself. But it leads very quickly into, but I'm in a lot of trouble and I need your help. So it's this kind yeah. of wishy-washy young adult stance 
Which, I mean, I don't think a lot of songs are singing about at the time. And so I think it's very interesting for her to take that stance and make it, it seems very personal. Even if it's not about her, a discussion she had with her father, it's very identifiable and relatable. Well, perhaps one of the reasons I subconsciously thought The Beatles is only because of the, the song She's Leaving Home. Yeah. Which is almost kind of similar in that way. It explores it in a very, very shallow way. Only because, you know, it doesn't go deep into the reasons why. It's almost just face value she's leaving home because she's clearly dissatisfied. And it, it doesn't imply that it's necessarily parents or that it's necessarily a, uh, uh, a guy in her life. It's just she's leaving home. But it seems to be for kind of those reasons. And it explains it in a very shallow sense. You get that kind of stuff throughout the 60s and 70s. Perhaps this is strong by just kind of going for the throat. Well, yeah, perhaps. it's very personal. It's yeah. very specific. I mean, you know, it, it's... It's got a really great narrative quality. It tells a story, and I remember that um, I've seen the video since uh, you know for a few times, and it's actually a really great storytelling video, which was another great feature of the times. I don't think it's done as much anymore, but Michael Jackson and Madonna really made, I think they really made music videos and you know an art. Uh, before then, it was just like live bands yeah. throwing their guitars around, and then <laughs> Michael. You know, Thriller was a story, a mini-movie, yeah. and Papa Don't Preach is a mini-movie. Danny Aiello's in it. It's really well-directed, and um, it's just a really... The song tells a story, and it has a very strong point of view and one of the reasons. And it's really... It's a great... You know, the violins, it's well-produced. Yeah. I really enjoy yeah. It. And it's, it's a great the, way to kick off the album, too. Yes. It's, it's the showy... The showmanship theatrical factor, I think, is what the 80s really introduced, <laughs> and certainly Madonna was, was one of the big ones in that department. Uh, the other thing this, this, this track has going for it is... It's kind of infectious just in terms of the rhythm. I mean, it seems like just a simple choice, but a lot of emphasis on the two and the four. You know, in your four-four measure, just really, really powerful on the two and the four, and that kind of keeps this this sort of ebbing and flowing going along with it. Yeah. But it's it's almost odd when you consider that there's clear pain going on here. At the same time, that's meant to sort of highlight the attitude within yeah. this. Mm -hmm. Papa, don't preach. You know, it's it's definitely that that. It sounds like it's coming from a point of teenage angst. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it's at a time when, you know, angst wasn't just dark and miserable. And it, it's adding a dimension of realism to it, which with the narrative video is something Madonna did a lot. I mean, all of her biggest hits had great narrative videos or had some kind of story or some kind of impact. She never just kind of really ever did anything for the sake of it. There was always something behind it, whether it was a message or an emotionality or whatever. And this song... To start an album with such a heavy message is powerful and palpable, and I think it really gives a, a good farm ground to, for the album to start on, to take off from. It's, it's a really strong opener. I mean, there's several things that this has going for it, over that of just pop music in general, and over that of just 80s pop music in general, and over that of just Madonna's work, to be honest. Yeah. Because there's a lot of things to focus on. I mean, immediately, of course, of course you're brought in by those strings. And then, secondly, you're focused on the drum box, which is a lot more intricate than you would normally find it in other 80s material. Um, even despite that that back and forth with the emphasis on the two and the four, there's a lot more detail going on in there. And then, of course, the fact that the track itself is rather long. It's upwards of, I, th I think, five and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. That's unheard of. For the time, yeah, for sure. For the time, yeah. The, the original... Certainly for today. <laughs> I remember Rashmi saying when we were listening that it seemed longer than and a little different from what you remembered. Yeah. And it's because the album versions, a lot of pop albums in the 80s, the 
album versions of the hits were different from the radio edits. They're, they would edit the song down to a safe three minutes because they didn't believe people would listen for that long. Since then, they don't really do that as much. Songs, just by nature, have gotten shorter recently. And actually, there's a, there's a part in this song where, where the instrumentation kind of cuts out a little bit. And I believe that was one of the examples of, of um, a section with... I don't, I don't believe this song was immune to what you're describing. Oh, no, for it sure It, too, not. was probably cut. In fact, uh, did you mention that there was a part, Rashmi, that, that you felt was um, was cut in this version? Yeah, I think when you were playing it, the end yeah. is much longer. The ending mm-hmm. is extended. Yeah, that's the section that it that um, the instrumentation sort of drops out, and then you're sort of just hearing that background of Papa Don't Preach, right. Papa Don't Preach, and everything's a lot thinner. You don't have that sort of overbearing drum box as you did before, and that section goes on for, you know, a considerable 30 seconds before we return to yet another chorus and it's it's powerful in the in the way that you know there's multi-layering going on through the course of this that it doesn't really make me tire out to yeah. be honest and i imagine the lyrics i mean from a lyrical perspective they're not super complicated but they're poignant and i think that's where the it's, power comes from it's a combination of uh the pleading idea of don't stop loving me daddy to the whole i'm going to do this on my own i'm keeping this baby the defiance it's it's the back and forth that really is what it's what conveys the content for the lack of complication the message is meant to be simple but i don't believe it's really lacking complication in this particular track granted as we get further in this album there's certain moments where you could say eh, maybe well, this could have been only fixed. speaking oh, lyrically lyrically there's You're speaking there's, lyrically yeah. oh just lyrically just speaking oh, lyrically. Lyrically. in terms of yeah, yeah. we're just talking about it's it's, gotcha. it's it's very straightforward storytelling but it's it's the framework that's work that that works so well here to to create just power, just just a great message through, and um, it's one of the reasons why I I think this has become one of her timeless classics. Uh, more than a lot of her party songs or things like that, I I'd be more expecting to hear this on a quote retro part, an '80s pop part, because it it it's got power even today. I think it's because it's the quintessential song of attitude. Yeah. And you see that in all these elements in here, not just in the rhythm, but in, in, in the robust bass. That was something I really noticed. The bass is really, I mean, apart from the drum box itself, a lot of times the, the drum box is doubling the bass work. And the bass is, is, again, robust is the only word I can come up for. It is, it is strong, it's impactful in a sense that it's not really clean like you would find in 1970s classic rock. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's in your face and kind of rounded, if that makes any sense. But yeah. the fact I'm sure it's it's helped by the fact that it's accompanied with the drum box. Yeah, so. absolutely. And there's a lot of drum box on this record, but she's always used a lot of technology in her music. I mean, it gives it an edge. Yeah. And again, that's another thing you can't help but say it defined the '80s. And yeah, for sure. We see that through the lens of today, and that'll come up later. And this, this song had this great, I feel, um, where she's really trying to. I mean, you guys were saying this. Um, She's, she's somebody's daughter, and she still wants to have his love and approval, and at the same time, she's trying to take a stand as a woman to be with her lover and have this baby, which was a very difficult, you know, hmm. decision. So it's this really interesting... It contains both, like yeah. this interesting, uh, you know... It shows that even both. the main character, whether it's actually Madonna or she's taking the character of, of a lead, she's really confused. She's yeah. not confident. She sounds confident but doesn't, and she's confused. She doesn't yeah, actually know what she needs or wants. Piece. And yeah. in that sense, it's kind of, it's, I mean, it's approaching uh, theme work that I think is novel for the 80s. Yeah. Not that it's novel in the history of time, obviously, that's been, you know, but it, it was kind of frowned on as like a pop music subject. Yeah, but that's for not a long something time. people would just sing about, right. you know, and she yeah. did. 
And that, yes. that, that I think is her long lasting legacy, which is well, she's done tons of that. Stuff. Yeah, sure. Living. I mean, really I still remember point. living on a prayer uh, not living on a prayer. I keep doing that like a prayer. <laughs> um, everyone was up in arms about the actor cast to play this depiction of Jesus in that video and yeah. people lost it. And but she she didn't care. She was going for this message and and creating this specific yeah. image. And, you know, she's done that a lot over her career. To be fair, of course, by today's standards, it seems so tame. Right, of course. You know? Well, sure. But at the time, it wasn't. Yeah. You know? Um, I think it's a good place to go into track two, which is Open Your Heart, which is, the, I believe, the second single off the record, for sure a single um, off this record, um, that I remember very fondly because I remember, I just, I remember the hook, the keyboard hook on this song, that it's only a few chords, but I remember them, and they, they, as soon as I heard the song, it got stuck in my head again. I just remembered it. Um, but this is where we get a kind of a sense of... I mean, Madonna's gone on record and said she's not a strong singer. She can sing, but she's not... Right. You know, her vocals are not her concentration. It's everything else. It has and, to do with inflection and also um, and also the, the core melody itself. Very often, if the melody is strong, then you don't need as strong of a singer in order to, in order to phrase it. Right. And so... To kind of adhere to the music. It was less noticeable in Papa Don't Preach, but in, in Open Your Heart, the verses, we get a sense of that kind of strain to hit hit this hit the same stride she was in the previous song. And it by no means sounds bad, it's just you can tell that singing's not her absolute pinnacle strength. It's how she phrases what she sings. Well there's a couple things that I think um that I think leave the song as more of a gaping hole. Mm-hmm. And that's just because of the fact that for instance the synth isn't quite, it's not as in- intricate. You don't right. really have all the same glitter that you had in the first track. Instead here, everything is a lot more regular. Um, it's somewhat similar in overall tone, so you're not bombarded with this, ah, this is a whole new thing she's doing. Instead, it's just a slightly more regular version of the previous track. And I think in that sense, it kind of leaves her a lot more exposed. Uh, Rajma, you used the word vulnerable before. I think that's a good way to describe it, because the second you take out all of that glitter, all that's left is just her voice, which is good, but then you start comparing it against other stuff you've heard, it's almost impossible not to, and it's just like, okay, that's a decent melody, but, you know, well, give me something else, and you're well, looking for that other thing, it's not quite here in this song. The chorus has the vulnerability to it, um, very well done. The melody does pick up, the the, the, the music does pick up during the choruses, no, the but verse, yeah, the, the verses, the, the have, verses have, it's, yeah. It, it just shows that, yeah, a little bit of weakness, um, and I think it's just... It's also coupled with the fact that we have the same level of energy as the previous track, as a lot of her uh, uh, music, a lot of her faster music. It's there, but there's a less of a supporting cast for that energy, and the energy is not coming across with the vocals, which is where you would expect it to step up. I don't mean to confuse laziness with ability, but it does seem that in these verses, I, I it feels like it got a little bit lazy. I Even mean, if it, you know she could be you know singing at her peak and she just doesn't have as much to work with, it just it comes across as being a little bit lazy. You know? I mean, it could also be with the song. Um, there's less of a strong narrative. Like the first song had such a strong narrative, strong message, strong music. So all of anything else kind of would fall behind it. Whereas this, it's mostly her vocals and this. You know, this this wanting to be loved kind of track, I which think, is a vulnerable track, and whether it was intentional or not, which it could be, it it's definitely it's definitely a more vulnerable track that just doesn't have as much content. I think partially that has to do with the cliches in, in, in the uh, in the lyrics here. But which in this case definitely even cliche for the time. For instance, just the chorus itself. Open your heart to me, baby. I hold the lock and you hold the key. Open your heart to me, darling. 
I'll give you love if you, you turn the key. I mean, it's, you know, comparing a heart to a lock and a, to a lock that someone well, needs the key in order to get heart. to. Yeah, you know, that sort of forbidden love kind of thing or the secret that you have to know in order to get to someone's heart. It's been done. It's been right. done. Not I to believe- say that it's not necessarily a timeless theme, but, you know, you kind of have to... Well, I think also this isn't as personal. Well, it's still a personal song because it's about her and her being vulnerable. It's not as personal as something like Papa Don't Preach. Like, it's a much broader topic, the idea of wanting to be loved and to try and find someone who can unlock your love. I think this is less about her being being vulnerable, necessarily. It's it's really more about her actually desiring to put herself out there, in a sense. It's wanting someone else to be, to have less of a wall up. But I'm just saying it's it's definitely a more it's a more vague topic. It's a more broad topic than the first song was. The song is a very specific situation between a daughter and a father and, and you know a, a baby and and a boyfriend that is questionable. Like this is something that's almost hyper specific. Uh, definitely a lot more specific than just, you know, this this second song. And I think that's also what kind of halted back a bit. That said, I'm going to give it some some points here. Uh, especially in the chorus, if you ignore those lyrics, mm-hmm. I kind of do like the melody in the chorus. The music, I think, is much stronger. I've, in the I've said my too. piece about the verses, but I think in the, everything's leading to the chorus. Yeah, the everything, songs. everything kind of builds up to it, and there's a there's this this tendency that she has in these choruses to sort of pulsate with the rhythm. So even if you know you don't detect the same sort of level of singing, she she can really work with her surroundings very very well she sort of sways in and out with that drum box. And if she follows along with it, then you kind of have this, this duality of the two working in tandem, which is not something that you know, vocalists often do, because a lot of times vocalists like to be independent of the rhythms and sort of soar above it. But in this particular case, she stays in line with it, which could be construed as being safe, but it works, because normally you don't get that, that, that duality. Yeah. I think that also following a song like Papa Don't Preach, it's going to ha- be hard for this song to be as impactful, just because... And we've talked about this a lot on the podcast. When you follow up something that's kind of got everything in it, the next song is going to look weak just by by comparison. It's it's almost impossible to not to live up to a song like that, you know. And so I think "Open Your Heart" we were going to look at a little more a little more narrowly just because of what it was following. I think it comes down to that core inspiration of the idea. Yeah. If, if the if the if, as you said, the theme is a little bit weaker, if it pales in comparison, or it's a little more broader, I think that's the best yeah. way to put it, then you're just gonna, you're ending up with a, with a lighter theme. I yeah. mean, it's not something that kind of like, ah, yes, the music just came to me because I had that idea in my head. Instead, in this case, it's more like, well, I have to fill in music for this role. Yeah. So, you know, let's just see how it pans out at the end. And it, it shows. And it's by no means a bad song. It's just, I don't think it's as good as the first track. And, you know, she's done better tracks than this one. So that's, I think, why it stands out so much. All right. Um, let's head on now to White Heat, which is the third track, which Steve gave me some insight to the track that I wasn't <laughs> even really aware of. So the interesting thing about this is, for the time especially, Michael Jackson had done it a bit, and a few other pop artists had, but this features... <laughs> Sound bites from uh, a James, of James Cang- Cagney. You James said. Cagney, who was a, a prominent actor in the 30s, and he did a lot of mobster movies, and he was like the the head honcho of monst- of, of mobster movie acting at the time. And he had died in 1986, the very year that this album was released. And so this song pretty much just seems like a straight up tribute to him, which I think is really. Which takes a clip from his movie to yeah. start out. I, I don't remember the movie specifically, but um, I mean, <laughs> you have. You might as well just read it out. I don't like that, boys. A copper. And we went for it. I went for it. Treated him like a kid brother. 
and I was going to split 50-50 with a copper. There we were, waiting to pin a medal on him. Come on, get up, get your hands up. Yeah, that's it, a nice gold medal for the copper. Only maybe he's going to get it sooner than he thinks. It's just... And it's, 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 it's quaint, and it's actually like a nice little... <coughs> It put, considering it's just a singular monologue, it gives you the framework in which to, to, to work from. Yeah. It captures his, his, entire, uh, his entire repertoire, to be honest. And, th- and this song also, I mean, once the, the actual song kicks in, it's one of those pop songs that is almost impossible to not get wrapped up in. It's just very catchy. And the lyrics, while they seem a little cheesy on the surface... They very much they they very much draw you in because even though it's an obvious metaphor that she makes in the choruses, it, it it's it's quaint and it's very you know it's it's cute. It, it draws you into the imagery that she's trying to build with this song that she's dedicating. Yeah, to it's him. an on the nose metaphor. Sure, but it it does work when you consider just that chorus. Get up, stand tall, put your back up against the wall, cause my love is dangerous. This is a bust. So totally like really heavy handed and just this this using that movie framework and the themes that surrounded those movies as to, I mean, to bring, to go into her, her manner of conveying love. Yeah. The type of love specifically. I, yeah. Not a fan? No, I found it a little cheesy. I mean, but I think it's that so, was intentional well, though. It's a pop, it's a pop, it's a pop album. Cheesy's okay. <laughs> no, you're right. Cheesy is okay. It's a pop album. It's like Things who does like the that cheese that. best? <laughs> and the cheese is really good. <laughs> um, but it was... It was the that level of on the noseness with because she's still transitioning. This is before she really became the the superstar. She eventually became. This is when she was still. This is only her third album. I think she was uh, there. Though. The, she this was is there. the album. This, is this the was album. the album that transformed her. But in this case, I really it's still got that nasal, uh, very young sound, and that really kind of hurt it for me because you're trying to do, yeah, these kind of on-the-nose one-liners, but when you're sounding kind of childish, it doesn't come off quite right for me. Hmm. And that's that's a big issue I have with this. It still has her very, very bubblegum-oriented, where you can, you can hear her just in the pigtails playing cops and robbers kind of doing it, instead of uh, a young woman in her own right, you know, trying to make a, a little bit of a statement, even if the statement's a little tongue-in-cheek. It's, it's that that kind of just drops it a little for me. And this is this is nitpicking really vocals, but this is well been the the that that's something that I got an issue on this. <laughs> you know, I don't know. See, I had an I had a somewhat of a parallel experience with this track just as I was moving from the first to the second. Obviously, we can't help but compare here. We already said, ah, oh, yeah, we we loved the first track. <laughs> it kind of blew our mind for an opener to a pop album. Second was gonna was bound to pale in comparison. And this was a track that I was almost ready to sort of compare right in line with track two. I was ready to say, then yeah, all right, it's kind of the same exact concept. He's not really wowing me in any way. But there's a funny little thing here. This is a track that sort of lacks verses in a sense. It's more of a bridge chorus type deal. It goes back to that chorus so readily mm-hmm. that I'm not left with that gaping hole again, where I, where it's, you know, lyrics paling and, and, and melody paling by comparison. Instead, it's just, it, it's, it's all that chorus. Which is what we said about the last track, too, that it's all building to the chorus. But in this sense, it's, it, it's less of a build. It hovers around there almost for the duration of this track. So when it keeps coming back to that, that, that cool rhythmic effect that this chorus has, because obviously my, my, my read-off does not do it justice, get up, stand tall, there's a certain cadence to yeah. the manner that she's singing these lyrics that puts accents on, on 
really bizarre places. But at the same time, it's theatrical in the sense that she, using that metaphor, she manages to sing this in such a way, in such a way that she's actually holding someone up. Yeah. It sounds like that. If you look past the fact that it's a song and there's a melody there, the cadence is, it has that, that forcefulness to it. And she's, I think that, that's kind of powerful. That ended up reeling me back to this song in the end. Well, yeah, and she's trying to convey that cadence in, in an homage to James Cagney. You know, just give this kind of, you know, she's she's dangerous. Her love is dangerous because she's a mobster. She's yeah. a gangster. And, and it's silly theatrical, too. Of you get, get up. But <laughs> you hear an accent there yeah. as if you hear you can actually hear all the hens going up. Yeah. Stand tall. More accents. Yeah. As if they all just stood to attention because they're terrified. Yeah. You know, it's... I mean, yeah, I, something to, I see where John's coming from with the vocal delivery a bit too because I mean on her earlier record she does have a lot of that kind of nasally she sings that way and she kind of moves away from it as she gets older and I can understand how it influences your opinion of the song it didn't bother me as much but I do prefer her singing when she doesn't get really nasally I like it either when she takes her voice very low or when she just kind of maintains that breathy singing I don't when she gets nasally it's it's She's singing from her nose. It just it kind of throws it off. I a bit. guess that's probably the bridge that you're referring to. Yeah. Because it seems to that this this uh, goes back and forth between a bridge more so than it does a verse. The verses yeah. are, are you know they're so in passing you barely even notice them. Yeah. Um, but I I would guess the nasal part is the bridge here, which I don't know. Again, I, I could almost overlook just for the chorus. Yeah, I mean, I like I like the structure of the song. <laughs> Knowing that it's James Cagney adds a lot to it. Also, I think you know because when I first heard it. Uh, uh, when I was listening to it at work, I was just like, this, this is a quote. This is this is from a movie. Okay, well, I have no idea what movie it's from, but this seems bizarre for Madonna. Just knowing, being more accustomed to her recent work, where she hasn't done a lot of this, it's just I was thrown off by it. But then uh, on the second listen, when we were listening to it here, I, I really got sucked in. Like, I, I believe the narrative. I, I took it. I'm, leave, I'm leaving out uh, one other glaring thing about this track that I think sort of kept it high for me. It, mm. it sort of tied the, the, the track together such that I didn't have those those areas where it felt short. And that was the um, the interludes. There's the, these funk guitar oh, interludes yes, right. that stepped in, which is, again, it's something we haven't had before. Yeah. Anything new at this point is kind of welcomed. And sure. it managed to, to sort of step in there between all these verses and the bridges, and every single time it steps in, it's it's catchy, it's unique. And it makes me feel as if there's less of a, of a glaring transition, like we just went from one section to the other. If it's tied together with something, then you feel much more of a unity in the track. And that's what I felt was lacking in, in track two. I agree. Um, <laughs> yes, Steve. Ra, ra, ra. Ra, correct, Thanks for that, John. Um, so now we go to the third single from the record. Again, I don't know if these are in order. It's third the single, fourth, track, fourth track. Third signal. Single. Um, Live to Tell, which this also is another one where the synth work is by far more memorable to me than the actual lyrics. Because a lot of the verses I don't really remember as well. But I remember... I remember the synth work. Those what was it? Three notes, four notes. Let me. This this intro I thought was downright gorgeous. I think this intro was was perhaps even even more powerful than the first track in many ways because you know it takes it in a different direction. It's a little bit less pizzazz, but much more introverted. In it's a, a sense. it's a ballad to to say from the start. Um, very slow, very deliberate, and I, I honestly you get this sense that it's 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 building it's it's the setting for a movie, some yeah. kind of. Some kind of drama that is, is unwritten, but just fill it in in your head. And it begins by sort of breaking apart this D minor 11th chord by establishing the root and the bass, and then this, these high synths step in to start accenting 
the 9th, 7th, and then interestingly down to the 11th, uh, to the 11th uh, of the scale, which I thought was really interesting. It was an interesting final choice to sort of end this li these little accents on the uppermost partial because it kind of keeps you, keeps you engorged in the fullness of that chord. Because you're already set up with the 11th. The 11th is sort of there as a block chord, I mean, th throughout. But when, you, when these accents start breaking apart the chord, it was just interesting that it sort of went down from the 9th to the 7th, which makes it seem as if it's about to sort of simplify it, and then it ends on the 11th. But that's just, you know, it's good voicing. It's great voicing, and I guess we owe that to the, um, uh, to the production values. Uh, what were the names again, Rajmas? Stephen Bray and Patrick Leonard. I'm not sure who of those two did this song. Leonard was on this one. Okay. And actually, Leonard. yeah, Leonard did a lot of work on this album. He was the, uh, I believe, the primary. primary. Okay. But now there's an interesting second stage to this, because the second chord here kind of hikes up to the relative major, F major, and it's accompanied by a much more playful synth work. And together, this kind of releases that darkness that we had earlier, just for a time, before throwing you back into D minor territory with the slow, deliberate voicing again. And it's kind of this weird back and forth between one thing and the other that it makes you feel as that this is this wants to sort of leave that dark place, but it never it's quite stuck. does. Because but I it, like that dichotomy that yeah. it builds throughout the song. And I and I if I recall the lyrics well enough, they they kind of support that, don't they, John? There's a part of me that wants me wants to immerse, but you know. There is. Uh, okay, one thing to know about this song specifically, it was actually written for a movie as well. That's something oh, okay. to keep in mind because uh -huh. the lyrics themselves are speaking to sort of a scene work that's being developed yeah. here. Um, it is a little bit off the beaten track as well as what you would expect for pop. It, it being slower, being more ballad-oriented, yet still staying within the realm. The lyrics are also being more ballad-oriented, yet still staying within the idea of very straightforward. Because it's talking more along the lines of being deceitful and secretive and that sort of a situation. Uh, the idea, it, it's almost a fearful kind of ballad without really making you be afraid. It, it implies apprehension. There's a lot going on it's here. It's dramatic. Now that's really that's interesting. That's the whole thing. It creates a full dramatic range. That's really interesting when you consider the verses. Because once the song, obviously I was describing the intro before, so that's the setting that you're dealing with. And then the second it, it goes into the song itself, then it, it pulls back such that we're not in D minor anymore. We're in C major. And C major is much more open. It's much more forgiving in many ways. Yeah. Kind of like it's masking something, though, because at the same time, it starts pivoting. Just just barely, it pivots to uh, the minor fifth, uh, G, G minor. And that's kind of an odd thing because in, in the manner in which it's, it's doing uh, sort of triad cadences here, it, it's, it, sounds, it comes across as a hymnal. I mean, hymnals in many ways are supposed to kind of release you. They're supposed to sort redeem of make you. you feel redeemed, exactly. They're very open chords, very non-confrontational. At the, at the same, same point, though, Going to the minor fifth is a little odd as far as hymnals are concerned. They would be a lot more traditional with your straight-up fifth. So I, I kind of see this deception that John is, is, is sort of getting from the lyrics, and I see this within the, the music here. It, it's another, it's another um, artistic... The, the artistic conveyance is apt. Yeah. That's, that's challenging to do when you're talking about such uh, complicated themes. But if you can do that in music, great. Do if you, you can do that in pop music, greater. John, do you know what movie it was from? Were you able to find that? Well, specifically, because it was, in fact, written by uh, Patrick Leonard originally for the film Fire with Fire. Uh, Madonna saw it, kind of stole it for her then-husband, Sean Penn's film, At Close Range. Oh, okay. Um, and it was straight up uh, Leonard and Madonna working side-by-side side for this piece. Um, 
And in both cases, like, it was a dramatic film that it was being designed for. And the adaptation, though, uh, not not the film ad- adaptation or anything like that, just the adaptation, I know, it did transition from one piece to another mm-hmm. as the two of them collaborated. So I, I'm kind of curious as to what it started out as. Yeah, what it sounded because like where before. It went, yeah. where, where it's at at this point is, is very interesting. And that drama that it has, I think, is really... Is really unique for the album too because it's it's very you know Papa Don't Preach was dramatic but in a different way it was dramatic in message but not in presentation whereas this is dramatic in presentation. Well, this loses a lot of the personal aspect that Papa Don't Preach had, right? Which is which is important for what it was technically meant to do, but it's also important for the song itself because it allows it to expand into a different way. It it's showing diversity in just. Once again, I'm going to be using this word a lot in the content of this album because instead of being uh, so much of an idea of life stories and everything like that that we'd already been seeing developed, this this takes a, a completely different aspect because Madonna, while still a character, you can get that from the chorus work and how she phrases it, she's also uh, being a narrator in, yeah. this, in this same way with a man can tell a thousand lies and I've, I've learned my lesson well. Hope I live to tell the secret I have learned. Till then, it will burn inside of me. Yeah, she's saying um... it's third person, first person combination. She's talking about what she's thinking of right now. So it is a narrative, but it's also a narrative of herself. It's it's got dichotomy. The lyrics, I mean, just take them at face value. They come across as a lot less, less, a little bit less cheesy. Yeah. As previous lyrics, yeah, you know, sure. they're certainly not going for something that's in, in your in your face on the nose. This is a lot more, um, a lot, a lot more veiled. Well, these seem very honest too, like honest to this kind of drama that it's trying to set up. You know, very honest, mystery, but honest, but perhaps veiled that. in poetry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I also like where it's placed on the track because you know, as you were saying, and I was thinking about this too. The just the very deliberate uh, production of the song and those really strong suspended beats. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're coming right in the middle of the um, of the album. So we've had like these, you know, upbeat songs, and now we've, you know, it really it's it's not just slowing you down a bit. It's quite slow. Yeah, it, and it, it, it brings really you brings you to like a halt yeah. in a in an intermission kind of great. Well, I think I it's really say, well placed. I, within this track, actually, there's a part that serves almost as an intermission because yeah, the this part where all the interlude, all the all the everything, the, everything just cuts. It cuts down to that core synth work, kind of close to what we had in the intro. I believe it breaks down to the same chord again, D minor eleventh, and it, even so, that chord fades almost to nothing. That is incredibly odd for a pop album because and then the vocals go to a very different place yeah than the rest of the song well i also like when it comes back from the interlude it's just the vocals first and then the rest of the instrumentation right. follows i think it was the second like she's leading it back into the song work which... it, it also one thing we complain about is that I, it gets ruined it gets ruined it gets ruined because you do something great and then you ruin it by going too much one way or too much the other here she just it, it's really going back and, cro- and across the, cro- uh, the board uh, you're saying just the chordal changes alone are, are kind of odd and fairly unique for pop, but the transitions are great. Well, you she don't lets feel you divorce between well, the two. Lets they're you odd. No, it. they're actually odd on being on both sides of the table. On one sense, it's using chordal progressions that are probably a little complex for pop, but then it just retracts to that that bare C major. That's that's almost overtly simplistic, yeah. but it's got that little. 
twang in it because there's only a slight moment there where this chord actually kind of just adjusts and then it does go into something a little bit later but it's the, it's that that we always go back to we're either anchored in c major or we're anchored in d minor 11th that's two bizarre places to consider yourself anchored for a song yeah. those would be a direction not the home you know, simultaneous homes but i like that she also is feels comfortable and the producer felt comfortable keeping her in that place without going those ways that you would typically expect and that interlude staying intact and just letting you steep in that almost silence yes. and then bringing her voice back and then bringing the instruments back for the end of the song. It was I think. incredibly tasteful. Yeah, yes. and, and it made the bridge that much stronger when it came back. I really yeah. like the production on that song. Yeah. From track four, we go to track five, which is a little more... Um, Bubblegum. The party. So this is a very 80s song. Not that anything hadn't been before, but this is called Where's the Party? And it's like, my only notes for this song is it's a party song. I mean, there's really not a lot to say about it beyond that on the core face value anyway. I mean, there yeah, is it's more. It's a light, fun song about, you know, where's the party? Where's the party? Okay, this was pretty funny, and I told this off the air, but I'm going to tell it on the air. This is funny considering that I had just read an article about Madonna, how she's apparently a very noisy neighbor. She lives in the Upper West Side, and she lives in a co-op, and it's, I mean, obviously, if you're a celebrity living in Manhattan, then you're going to have neighbors like anybody else, yeah. even if you throw, you know, really bizarre celebrity parties, presumably with your entire entourage. Well, she's doing this, and she has neighbors, and they're complaining, and she's getting sued. So, um, I she had just play- read that article before I listened to this song, and it's like, well, I guess not a lot has changed in 27 years. Yeah. Well, it shouldn't. No, it shouldn't. She's no. 56. Good, I mean, well, good for her. And well, and also, Madonna has always been very much at face value, like, this is who I am. I'm doing what I'm doing, and that's it. And yeah. in, in her defense against the lawsuit, not all of it is parties. A lot of it is is, is training for yeah. her shows. She still does shows. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just yeah, she dancing just in general. She just released a live album fit. not that long ago. She did the MDNA tour, which which she, yeah. I think was only a year or two ago. The only argument anyway. is don't do it in the co-op. Anyway, uh, this happy-go-lucky kind of song... <laughs> It very much is 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 right off of her first or second album. It's very much within vein of what she had already been doing. Um, so it's not really outside the realm of what you would expect at this point in her career. Same time, the maturity she was showing in, well, everything else. Especially the previous track. Yeah, uh, was not here. This this is yeah, it's not here. But also, it's almost well, no. I I want to say it's almost like it was a song cut from the previous uh, yes, album I, I that ended that. up that here. That's not a bad theory. Yeah. It, it kind of breaks up the maturity that I, I, everybody was liking. Everybody here was enjoying. But, but, but same, that said, the same token. I think we have the same song. idea. It's well, a really good. Pop. It's a good pop song, but Not also just that. it yeah. breaks up the mood. Like you got, we got fairly dark and pretty serious in the last song, especially upon further analysis. And this kind of pulls you back out and goes, "Hey, wait, let's lighten have a up. good time. Yeah, lighten yeah. up to bring the album back around to another swing, and also to add a little more variety because this is the other songs had a. A very, very much a pop structure, but this is the first one we got that's just flat out candy, empty calorie pop music. Let's just take the final chorus from the previous track here. Previous from, track. From Live Live to Tell. Yes. If I ran away, I'd never have the strength to go very far. How would they hear the beating of my heart? Will it grow cold? The secret that I hide, will I grow old? How will they hear? When will they learn? How will they know? This is dark stuff. <laughs> this is, she's in, she's in bed on the verge of doing wait, something rash. Wait, 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 wait. That's why you need the party. That's why you need the party. Okay, so read this, the, the opening to the next track. Working Monday through Friday <laughs> takes up all my time. If I can get to the weekend, 
Everything will work out just see, fine. That's, that's when I go crazy. That's when I can have fun. Time to be with my baby. Time to come undone. That's part of the <laughs> sort of symbolism of working. She's working with, of course, you know, she's working off of comparing people who actually do have nine to five jobs because obviously Madonna probably doesn't probably well never she has. Could be in the studio it's either well yeah there, there's yeah well, probably true, a true. hell of a lot more than that there's yeah there's, there's a lot I of assume, detail I assume this okay big thing this album was recorded in about five months the entire thing front to back was recorded in five months but that's not uncommon that's, for but the time. that sort of idea exactly you're spending twenty hours a day you're sleeping in. A recording studio, yeah. and then you're for like six, three, four months. You're not doing anything, or maybe you're going straight into a six okay, month. Okay, so in that case, maybe it's three, not metaphorical. Yeah. Maybe it yeah, really no. is about her and her work. It's probably not a, a Monday through Friday sort of gig, but, uh, but I'm it's sure she's putting a for the hell audience. a lot of yes, hours. Yeah, if we can like see it through that. Popular, um, you know, relatable songs. I think earlier um, you guys were mentioning. Girls just want to have fun, and then I was also thinking of Manic Monday, which is you know yeah. the Bangles mm. song that Prince wrote. So mm. it's about like just getting through the week and having fun, and, and tons of bands have written yeah. songs about partying like that. So and this is like a good I don't, music. I don't, yeah, and I don't mind its placement on the record too because there was a lot of levity and live to tell, and it's like that's another one. We those, need a break. That's another one of those defined the '80s things, though. Yeah. I mean, we work hard, we play hard. <laughs> Well, that's, that's true again, too, which 80s, was you know? common. Yeah. yeah, I mean, musically, I think it Jobs was it was your your typical pop structure. I mean, were there any was there any musicality that stood out to you, or was it very much just synth heavy? Simple structure. I think. Yeah, it was very basic. It was yeah. really very basic. I mean, actually, you were the one who brought up girls just want to have fun, and they, uh, it actually made me a little bit um, a little bit nostalgic for that song, only because <laughs> I feel like that you know kind of pulled it off a little bit better. So if you're gonna talk about the actual structure of this song there's not much to go off of but at least i will defend its role as placement on yeah, this album no, i agree i think it was a perfect release and i think artistically this was very intentional uh to follow the previous song this is the um you know you need to release at some point you yeah. need to exactly what this says where's the party i want to free my soul i want to lose control i want to free my soul i want to lose control that's it that's it that's it yeah it's, it's simple and i don't think it's trying to be anything that it's not no you yeah. know, it's, it's really very about, face value yeah and it's I think, a good time. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it's a song also that is kind of, you know, it's not... It, Madonna's really not known for these kind of songs. She's known for songs more like Open Your Heart or Papa Don't Preach or, or Live to Tell. So Now. 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 So let the girl have some fun. Well, yeah. And, it, but, and it, it, it's, an, it's I interesting. I think he, what he was saying, like her, this was... It has the sound of the previous albums, you know, yeah. into the yeah. groove and like come yeah. dance. She was a dance yeah. singer, really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she started out as singing dance music and then. Mm. And then you know, move from there. Yeah. And it's all of her stuff, I think, has the residue of that poppy get everybody on the She still feet does party. I mean, even when she did um, music uh, back in the early 2000s, that was a pop song based and a, a dance song based on the trends of the time, more techno, more ingrained in bass work and. Where so she still follows that trend, and I think the song is very iconic of the '80s, of the mid '80s. That's why there's no point in, in us criticizing this song because she's getting sued for it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's a good jumping-off point to go to the title track of the record, "True Blue," um, which it's funny because when I first heard this track, I couldn't figure out. It, it, it clearly sounded to me like it was of another time, but it was still very pop and very 80s, so I couldn't place it. But Steve pointed out that it was a very 50s-style song. Very doo-wop. And, do, and Steve actually, while we were listening, just started singing doo-wop over it, and it and really did, like just saying doo-wop, and it really fit it's really well. It's all you need, and in many ways, it's there without actually saying doo-wop. The, yeah. the, 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 the progression in the bass is there in the 
in the bass in this track. So, you know, it's it's taken almost verbatim. Mm. And the but obviously chorus it's, coming in at key times. Oh yeah, yeah the, that the, really fills that those little the harmonies. Feel, yeah. yeah. And um I mean, it's still an 80s-ified thing. Yeah. That's the thing. And take that take that however you will because of course it's it's the other the little textural uh variances that only the 80s seems to have immersed themselves in and embraced as the tools of the time. That's what they used to to borrow this 50s style. They use the drum box, they use all that synth work, and then even the, the filter through which uh, those female vocals come in to do those harmonies seems like it's got the same level of, of echo and reverb like they would have used in the 1980s. So of course, yes, it's from the 1980s. Why wouldn't it be an 85, <laughs> 50s track? But, you know, uh, it's an homage to yeah, a time that definitely. was well, it, 30 years. It, it, it's... It also kind of was a little bit too simplistic. That's that's the one issue I really got with it because it was what a, a just like a pretty standard four chord progression. If I'm but not that's mistaken. the do that's yeah. the nature of doo up. If you think about yeah. the songs, then but they weren't the, complicated. No, but there was, were, I, I, I don't know there was little accents with things like the violin, the little violin accents, which I actually kind of honed in on because <laughs> they were great little bits of texture. You can take that doo up framework. It wasn't just quite eighties. 80s-ified, popified. It was kind of simplified too. There but was I think complex, that was intentional. Was com- yeah, but there was complexity in the previous songs that still remained pop that I think could have been addressed here. But that that's could the have been thing. added it, it, here. It, you can't even say popified because then you'd just say popifying pop because it was pop in the well, 50s. No, no. It's still pop in the 80s. No, but I'm saying it. It, it feels like it was just. It, it was a little bit too simplistic. She had shown. And the producers had shown that they knew how to really get complicated. I'll give you this. I think there's just a little bit of a disparity. It was interesting that she decided to go so innocent at this particular time Mm -hmm. in the album. I mean, it it obviously it not just rang from doo-wop, but it rang like the kind of thing you'd hear on a on a 1950s high school dance floor. Mm -hmm. How tame could that get by Madonna standards when you think about it? But usually, when she does something like that, it's 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 veiled in a little bit of irony. Yeah. Usually, although I haven't found it yet. Yeah, well, it's, I don't know that there's anything really that ironic about this track. And she was, Madonna was still more innocent in the earlier albums than the later. She starts to come out of her shell at this point, but she doesn't get really more hardcore or sexualized or, or all, you know, proactive and, and message driven. She's more message driven in moments in the earlier albums. It becomes more apparent and more obvious later on. So I think that this song, I don't think there's any irony. I think that its simplicity is intentional. For better or for worse, it's it's just designed to be an 80, 80s-ified doo-wop song with very simple, cute yeah, lyrics. I don't think it was supposed to be... And whether you, I mean, beyond that, it becomes personal preference. And, I, I mean, I would agree that it's one of the less interesting songs on the record. It's not by far as engaging. Like, cause even Where's the Party was... There was no... There was no veil to it. It was just what it was, and that was it. This, you know, she's trying a different style. She's... You know, the the lyrics a little simpler, a little cleaner. The 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 melody's cleaner and simpler. I just I don't think that there were supposed to be many layers to it, yeah. and it made it fall behind a little was bit as far as the, the record track goes. That was an ode to Sean Penn. Yes, yes, yes. It very much was. Then there, yeah. Then there's really nothing else to read into it. Yeah, nothing it's, else at all. True blue, baby, I love you. Yep, and and I think that at that point, you know, it's we often talking on the podcast find conflict in judging songs that are so hyper-personal. Because ultimately, whether we like it or hate it, it's it's designed for a reason, and it's hyper-personal. If this was dedicated and designed for Sean Penn, then that's what the song's purpose is, and that's <laughs> yeah. it, you know? 
It's, I mean, there's two schools of thought of looking at it. You can write a song like this and then release it to the world, and it's just like, well, that was for that person. What are you doing releasing it to the world? Right. Or maybe that's the most romantic thing you can do, is sure. share it with the world. So, yeah. Making what's the your... personal universal. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, whatever's your pleasure. <laughs> going from track six to track seven, we get to my favorite track, and as I understand, John's favorite track as well. Um, La Isla Bonita, which is also a single off the record. Um... I mean, this song for me was just one of those... Madonna's really good at setting up a setting. But in this song especially, it's just so clear from the opening to the track that it's got this tropical getaway fantasy vibe. You're in this location that she's now going to begin to sing about, and you get steeped in it through the rest of the track. It's It's, so obvious from the minute it starts. It's also probably the point in her career where she goes from being just sort of a pop, you know, cute idol to really becoming like the sex figure she became later on. I mean this is hinting so, at it for sure. This is this is the point where she starts infusing um the real Latin ideas. Which uh, she the, uses the, in other tracks. The Central too. and South America ideas of music and popifying it and and, and bringing it into her fold. We've said and the word taking, popifying way well, too no, much. Well no, this you can't say Madonna without that word. <laughs> um but here's where like this is the first song in her career, if I'm not mistaken, that she really addresses that. Because I don't remember anything off of the first two albums, just, just reading over the text, that had any sort of salsa or mambo ideas really put into This was it. the first record that had any of that. Yet, going forward, she does it a lot more, and she it, it doesn't become her main focus, but this is sort of like the birth of one of the major aspects of her music. But see, this is where I have a little bit of an argument because I saw this as more of an experiment than anything else. That's but and that's, that's my problem. point. That's my yeah. point. Don't don't get me wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with experimentation. Very often we're intrigued as we go through albums, just like ah, that was a, a healthy refresher from everything we've had. Because otherwise, you can sort of start to get immersed in the same exact stuff, even if it's just the minor things that changes it. In this particular case, it's the bongos. You have bongos. Okay, we, I didn't hear bongos before. It's normally drum box. <laughs> now I have bongos replacing the drum box. That's a tiny thing, but it's not worth ignoring. Um, also, guitar. this, this fantasy. Guitar. That's the other big thing. And actually, that was my guitar. favorite part about this track. It's not quite enough for me to consider my favorite track on the record like you guys. Only because I think that actually it, this album was, was immersed in a, particular, in a particular realm that I think it had excelled at, specifically in the two tracks we've mentioned, which was... Um, which were the first track and... Papa Don't Preach. Uh, Papa Don't Preach and, and Live, to, Live tell. to Tell. Those are the two tracks that I think really highlight that style. And I think, in general, if you are telling... If you are... If you do have a style, you might as well go balls to the wall with that style, rather than offering little doses of of the alternative. It doesn't by any stretch make it the worst, but it makes it it makes it an experiment, which is it's it's interesting, it's novel, it's certainly novel for Madonna, and I accept that. But it's not like, you know, I've heard this style before. We can't really pin it down. We know that it's at least Cuban. Yeah, we, it could be salsa. It's well, no, I don't know enough track. about Latin music. That was the last say. song, not this song. Oh, but this still had something Latin, in there. Definitely it had Latin, Latin but Latin it wasn't influence. Yeah. yeah, but it wasn't a dance song by any means. It was. It was. This was more. I think slow. it could still be dance too. Like uh, I would put it. Slower. It was more. This was more ballad. The final track was a dance, dancey Spanish. I would song. put it as the second most danceable track on this record. I think. No. I disagree. Uh, That's really? the final track. Yeah, that was we're the final argue track. This one. Yeah, okay. this was about. I think open your heart's very danceable. Yeah, 
this was party? this was more in line. Maybe with they're all danceable than maybe. True. <laughs> when you think about it. But yeah, yeah, one word, Madonna. Well, exactly. <laughs> for me, it was mostly the tropical kind of setting, the enticing lyrics, and then the Spanish guitar. Even though the moments it came in were very fleeting, it was out throughout the song. I wanted more from the the solo that was featured towards the the middle part to, towards the end. I wanted more from that solo. That's the thing. That's, that solo was four measures. Yeah. And it was. I mean, it broke my heart to only do four measures of a the of a guitar. sweeping Spanish guitar. But there was a lot of it throughout the track, and I did like that it did come keep coming back, and it, it was, was there. It was peppered, just yeah. like the bongos. It was peppered. So I think this is more of a it's more of an eyebrow raiser for me. Okay. I was intrigued by this. Track. I enjoyed being steeped in the setting, and the setting was so strong. So that's where I connected really. Yeah. It's like if, if 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 we had previously had an intermission, then this is like an aside. This yes. is like a little soliloquy. Sure. I think the song, like you know, to create a mood. I think if that's what it, its intention was, it definitely did that. Yeah. You know, it took you to a different place. And that's what she's pretty much singing about. At, is yeah, dreaming about this different place that she wants to go to, and and it conveys that emotionally. Yeah, it it makes you. It gives you a want to be somewhere else to the to a more beautiful to tropical place. Yeah, it exactly. became for me. Like, in your case, though, why do you want to be out of this album? It seems though, because yeah. you, you know. Her style is is really what had what we'd but been why, having. But why can't she experiment? Why can't she play? I mean, if you think about it, after Where's the Party, everything is about kind of trying this different. Like True Blue is about this '50s thing, and then we're seeing La Slo Bonita, and then you know, there's there's she's. It's like she's trying different styles. It's true. It just it just seems to me that as she tries these different styles, it, it seems to take away from her core a little bit. It takes away from the center of the album, which is always where she generally excels. So it means that. It, it, it comes off that these are always going to be a little bit second second rate. They're mm. still great songs, they're still great great experiments, would, mm. but they're second rate to her work. Mm. Mm. I, I would argue. I would I argue. Remember, it was a hit. This, this actually was. hit number four on the billboards. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is my, also, my perspective. Well, no, you, you're not the only one that has disliked this song over the years, or even had issue with this song over the years. Everybody. I mean, this is one of those albums. It's just been nitpicked over the past almost sure, thirty years. Sure, it's been around, years. and it was like this was it's the twice. album that changed her trajectory too. Right, she re- but this podcast is going to change it around, right? But in, <laughs> as far as context goes, as as far as as a divergent idea from what the core was, I would even argue that the lyrics and what she's singing about in the previous songs are just as different from what the core quote idea was as what these later songs are doing on a musical aspect. And it's this still a very personal... This is all about experimentation. Well, here. I'll give you this. This is a dreamier track than the previous, for oh, yes. sure. Yeah. Well, because I mean, she's singing the, about an island in her dream, well, she's essentially. she's in a different place on this track. Yeah. It's, it's an idealized paradise. And that and that makes it more personal because it's her dream. It's in her head, yeah. which I think makes it hyper-personal. Yeah. I, I, I only compare this track and the previous as being both different in style from her core work. But as far as theme work is concerned, this track is, is, is miles above. Because yeah. it's hard to really talk about the previous track without just saying it's a love song. Yeah. This is this has got more, you Depth. know. Yeah. Um now we go to a song that I feel personally at least didn't have very much depth at all. Um Jimmy Jimmy. Oh, my it's song about no, it's, a, it's an ode to James Dean. Okay. Right. I can well, see that. Just know about that part. The okay, problem is Jimmy Jimmy was oh it 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 is a lot of the problems <laughs> of the eighties and that's the repetition. It's just it was so so fast. I just wish it was a little bit slower. slower. There was something so speedy about it, and I couldn't quite figure out why. You know, unless it was like trying to emulate a particular style, which I couldn't quite nail, except for the fact that it's just super speedy. I don't know if I'm nailing it here, but I would definitely say that. 
I, I don't really compare most of Madonna's work with electronica. I would just say that there is electronic influence in it because that was <laughs> common. In these. Exactly. This one though kind of goes much further. With <laughs> yeah, it. it does. Much further. Much more. Much more glitter. If you see it as glitter, clutter could be another word for it. Yeah, I mean, um, it's just the repetition of Jimmy Jimmy in the verses, like. It almost sounded like a cheerleader song, almost, you know. And there were there were songs done in that kind of rah rah style then in the eighties too. It's just, it just didn't. F- it just felt most out of place than anything else. And there's a it's narrative so here. It's so happy go lucky. I think that's my problem with it. Well, and it's what's interesting about it though is this is the first song though that's not first person. Like she's singing, the focus is on someone else. It's being sung about somebody else. It's about James Dean. Well, okay. Here's a direct quote from her about this song. I used to fantasize that we grew up in the same neighborhood and that he, quote, James Dean, moved away and became a big star. This was a complete ode to him. Mm. Yeah. So the cheerleader aspect, yeah, that it's was kind of intentional. intentional. She really was a cheerleader for it. Yeah, I'm not Bro. saying that conceptually, it, conceptually it's not, it doesn't work. I just don't think I liked it as much. I yeah. think is what I'm getting down to. It's a personal taste thing. I felt like it was very repetitive and... It, it disengaged me a bit, whereas even the other popular tracks, like Where's the Party was just fun, so I kind of right. got sucked in. There's, this one was not so much. There's a definite irony here, though, now that you now that we know that fact. And, I mean, obviously, James Dean went and crashed up his car, car. and died in 1952. Oh, you're going to quote the lyrics? I mean, it's just, you know, it's a cheerleading track that has to include that. Mm-hmm. Why did you go and crash up your car, Jimmy Jimmy, oh Jimmy Jimmy? Is it because it didn't take you too far, Jimmy Jimmy? But then when you consider the tone of this, yeah. you know, you could take those words to the bank, but it's so lighthearted about it that it's it, it comes off as a little unsettling, really. Yeah. It could be. Cheerleading the dead guy? I mean, it, it could be. I mean, also, though, it, it also could bring to light the hyper-fantasization fan, fan, that we put pop stars on I mean people were you know fantasize about musicians and about artists and actors constantly you know from posters and all this other stuff and these idolizations and so it could be an intentional over idolization of this guy even talking about the horrible thing that happened to him no that's what I'm thinking intentionally like young she sounds like super young super teenage cheerleader yeah she really even if she goes back to that she goes back to that nasal but I think in this song if you put together what you've just shared about you know James Dean oh yeah and this was Something and that she was is out. being somebody that's like, you know, why'd you have to go do that? Yeah. You know, I'm so young and why'd you have to but go? I'm, interestingly it, enough, <laughs> no, you're right, but interestingly enough, I want to almost go back to what Mad Sick is. I'm starting to believe it when you consider the following line, which is, why do you always have, Jimmy, Jimmy, why do you always have such a sad face? That makes me think of the common poster that is out of him. Oh, yeah. You know, he always looks so that everyone knows such a serious on the motorcycle, right. yeah. Being the bad boy of the time and yeah. whatnot, but it's just so strange how she just came straight out of the death reference back into the the figurehead, yeah. right. the figurehead that everybody knew, and that that's an odd break, and that yeah. that I I can't help but see so, as some kind of uh, as you said like intent, in, intent. An, an intent of 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 sort of wrapping up this this fixation with celebrityhood yeah. and and putting it in a very overt. Uh, very in-your-face, almost unsettling song. Which I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. knock at all. I think me personally, my dislike with the song is per- personally just musically. Like I just, the I, yeah, yeah, the reputation. Not, and the not speed. a huge fan of 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 presentation. 
but but the but the theme work does make sense, and I actually kind of think that's actually a smart Art. way of yeah. kind yeah, of it is. showing this because it still happens now, and there's still songs like that now too. So, and I don't know that there were it's, a lot. It's, then. it's kind of ridiculous in many ways. I could, cons- I mean, it's so relatable. Even yeah. though this was in the '80s, it's still relatable today because people talk about James Dean in the same way. Oh, absolutely. Like, people were obsessed with him obviously when he was alive. It almost kind of bellowed more after he died, and it continues every generation. Oh, sure, absolutely. I have seen. Always, someone I know has that poster. Absolutely. Someone. I would agree. Yeah. That's, yeah. Or Wayne. Or John Wayne. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, he is an icon. When you yeah. think about it, it is, it is very odd to have a sex symbol that continues years, years after, decades after sure. death. Um, <laughs> On that morose uh, yeah, yeah, segue. I'm trying let's to find a transition. That love makes the world go round. Yeah. So track nine, as, as Rashmi is, is segueing us to, is called Love Makes the World Go Round. Um, it's the final track on the record, the closer. And initially, I was a little disappointed that it was just kind of a happy, fun, kind of overwhelmingly positive dance song. But considering the way the album starts in this very serious and intense place... Wrapping it up with something more lighthearted, but still an important message, obviously, I think actually makes a lot of sense. It, it even helps that the songs have been kind of alternating theme-wise between darker motifs and lightheartedness and dark and back and forth, back and forth. Uh, I would not have liked a sad ending to yeah. an album. Just, in, just for the framework of what's being built here, I want to be left on a happy note. Because even, and, and that's that's everything here. Even the saddest parts, the deeper, darker parts, are still more towards the upbeat than the downbeat. I, In general, in general. But I wanted just being happy. I mean, that's, that's the persona of everything that was going on here. There's still a, a sliver of happiness in every little song. Yeah, I really like actually what she's she's playing with another influence. I mean, to me, again, I hear a lot of Latin influence, and we were talking about this earlier, like maybe even specifically Cuban. Um, there's a lot of, the rhythms are very, um, it's really up, and it's, you know. You heard in the vein of uh, Gloria Estefan, right? Yes. Yeah. And what's funny is the song that Rashmi compared it to by Gloria Estefan came out much later after this song. <laughs> so they're both drawing from a similar influence, clearly. But it's kind of funny to me to, to picture Gloria Stefan, who's known for that kind of music, if she was influenced by Madonna, is just I silly. highly doubt no, it. I yeah. doubt it too, and but actually, it's just a funny image. Considering that and considering a few other things, I was thinking, I, I, I know when to call bull. And, and even even on my own words here, going back to the James Dean song really quick, yeah. I, I, I don't think it was that, it was that deep. Yeah. I just don't think no, there was no, that no. much irony here. I think it really was an ode in the same way that many of these other tracks are odes. Yeah. When you really think about it, I, it, it's it's either an ode to love in general. In this case, it's an ode to love making the world go round, and it's exactly that broad. It does so in again a slightly different style, and that style is of one that's very danceable. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a very dancey song. I'd say one of the da- most dancey songs on the record. Although Steve did point out that instrumentation-wise, the bass might as well have been played by a robot, and it was. It was mostly from the... the it was a machine. It wasn't actually a bass. Yeah, in this sense, I, I, I don't mean that negatively, because yeah. you, you wouldn't even bat an eye on this album for a bass sounding robotic. You don't really expect a full band. You expect a lot of synth work to accompany you. That includes the the, uh, the synth bass and the drum box and all that. And the bass was rather... I mean, I, I, I was intrigued by it so much to the point that I kind of want to transcribe it. Right. Um, <laughs> it's it, it was... I don't know. I, it was driving, to be honest. Maybe it's th- that that's the interesting thing. It, it kind of 
it's not something I would expect to coincide with that Latin rhythm. I would not expect that style bass with that. And yet it worked really well. Yeah. Normally you wouldn't find anything robotic in Latin music. You'd find just sort of the core raw sounds of, yeah. of Latin acoustic. But whatever, the fusion worked. No, it did. It worked really well. And I just, I like the wrap up of this song personally. I think it was, it, it, it was also just, the one issue is that it's kind of just a rehash of your standard make love, not war type of a sure. song. Sure. That's a lyric in the song. Yeah. In fact. Yeah. And it's, it's a peace, love and happiness. I mean, it's just, it's, it's the 1960s revolution. She's just, you know, saying we should keep doing it. So message, like, words-wide, message-wide, it's really nothing spectacular there. But this is a... A lot of times we'll say it's like an end credits type of a deal. You want to be left on a happy note. And this does leave you feeling good. You want a nice big final number that may not be the best part of the play, but still is the sort of thing that leaves a step in your... Spring uh, spring your step. step. Excuse me. (laughs) Spring your step and, you know, has you walking away with a smile on your face. Yeah, I think it's a very simple, you know, the lineup on the CD, having it be the last one, Love Makes the World Go Round. It's like, you know... That's what it is. It's just a really upbeat pop song with a good message that she, they decided to, that's where it is. And, and, and one final thing. I think this also, this song does have her best vocal range. I just wanted to point out, this is hmm. like the part where really it did feel like she was giving it her best. Or really wanted to just impact something with this song. Because I feel like she went to 11 on this one. That's an interesting observation. It's not something I personally noticed. Because after a certain point, after like the second track, I kind of noticed the status quo. Yeah. But um, but if you saw it here, then well, that's perfect. I just, a little bit more. Just a little bit more. But I'm looking. I could. I can't believe it says "Make Love Not War." I did not notice that. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 But he, but, but he, but she mentions that it's a cliche fight. message that's been said time yeah, and time again. But I don't again. think she's trying to. You know, nobody's trying to be deep here. It's yeah. just a good message song. It's the last track. It's pretty spelled yeah. out exactly what it's supposed to do. It's a good message accompanying a, a very danceable rhythm. And again, I, I find that very funny, considering that. Well, is that how we're going to fight off? You know. Yeah. Why not? We're if you're dance dancing, it it's hard to fight. Think about it. It's true. Well, it's Michael whole, Jackson managed to do we it though. Get, he yeah. If we get everybody to dance at once, then no one will fight. He each fought other. dance. There's a difference. He fought dance. Yes, That's he true. Dance. Unless it's he a did. mosh pit. And there were zombies and, and not in that and one. Other F- the fight dancing was in um, Beat It, but you know they no, all no, they're the same whole, universe. No, there's a whole variety. Yes, no, they Footloose. Are. Footloose was it? Well, no. The end of Footloose. There's that giant in the warehouse. Yeah. Everybody, the fight dancing, and they're leaving on the way out. Which uh, eventually became a style, a very popular style on Broadway, but that's besides the point. I've actually always thought that political meetings should start with the dance party. <laughs> I think actually, you feel oh, very different when you they would finish dancing. Up. Oh no, dance off UN. <laughs> dance off UN. They would loosen would, up and then say, oh, come yeah, on. you can have that island, take it, why not? Oh, who Putin, cares? Yeah. Putin versus Obama, come on, come on. <laughs> Uh, my would, money would be, would be on Obama. Awesome. Awesome. Who likes to take his shirt off? He might actually win that one. Uh, that's true. Mm, true. <laughs> to turn a battle of wits into a battle of moves. Um, it might get more done at the UN, though. True. Yeah, political. Uh, anyway, back to the music. <laughs> uh, I guess we're we're at a good point to wrap up the record now. Who wants to go first? Then I want to go first. Oh, you first. Okay, go for okay. it. Okay, R- Rashmi, you'll get to give it its rating last. We let the guest go last, so. Okay, one retro album. Okay, we have that out of the way. We're not even going to talk about it anymore. Madonna does not, and even looking within the framework of pop at the time and what what's going on at the time, she doesn't do anything 
new, per se. She doesn't revolutionize anything. What she does is she does take a lot of different aspects of what everybody else was doing and puts them together in a very solid format. She does push boundaries, but she doesn't set any trends with this album. That does come later for her. And in retrospect, it's here's where the stardom is first achieved for Madonna, but she doesn't become the powerful icon until later in her career. But here really is a, a major turning point for her because there, there's new ideas, new concepts. She grows up in this album. There's depth. From, from childhood of Material Girl to, with the exception of, like, where's the party, just just really trying to get better ideas across. Um, it's, like I said, it's not revolutionary, but this is this is all the the... Some of the purest forms of pop ever diluted into really just addictive music. You can't get away from a lot of the stuff. That's why like five or six of these nine songs are on radios <laughs> constantly because they are still, you know, the line of of here's your 1980s pop. Um, this is this is an album that I would put her with with Michael Jackson with Prince as 80s royalty. Uh, this is this is that point. It's still not. It's still just pop, though. That's what it boils down to. There's there's nothing but pop here. So yeah, it's a great album, but it doesn't progress anything. So it's that solid culminating four. It's a it's a four through and through. It does nothing magical, but it is pretty special. Hmm. Well, I mean, I do believe one thing. There's there's something about this. Uh... Her, this being the turning point of her career, that you mentioned, you know, she doesn't achieve it until later in life. I, I don't believe that's true. I believe this was this was the big album that projected her that to made that her, star. I would say makes her a star, but this isn't the one that that I believe is her like iconic power. When was like a virgin? Uh, that, that was, was the pre- previous. That, that was, was pre- the previous. So as that's interesting because well as... I feel like that's a little bit more in, impactful in terms of what we know as Madonna and what has survived as Madonna. Um, not that I know that much about that album, but that's the one that seems to get more circulated in, in, in hearsay than, than True Blue. Still, that was interesting because then I kind of went into this album blind. And I took it much the same way. For instance, I see it as the peak of 80s pop in a sense, in a certain style. Because you can't make these direct comparisons between her and, and Prince or her and Michael Jackson because they were still producing wildly different avenues for pop at the time. And I gotta say, there's one thing about Michael Jackson's work, is that sometimes he went for pure punch value, and, and yeah. you know, the danceability is, it bleeds through in every single track. That's one thing that I felt this track, I mean, uh, that this album suffered a little bit by comparison, is just because there are danceable songs, but when you think about it, there are only a few of them. The rest of them are more leave-on-the-radio-while-you-do-your-work kind of tracks. Still strong for pop music of its time, but, you know, if you're going to do pop, if you're going to do shameless pop, why not go for the gold, the way I figure it? To me, not all of this is gold. There's interesting stuff here, but the interesting stuff that I find is actually the stuff in this album that departs from pop, and that's what you find out of the first track and also the fourth track. That's the stuff that, that I want to hear more of out of this album. The, the tail end is a little bit of a letdown for me. It does kind of revert 
to become a much more positive-sounding album, which is not a bad thing. It would seem like a good thing, but to me, it's pulling away from what she was building here, the potential that was there. So, for me, this, this album is a little bit of a letdown at the end. Um, for that, I, I can't really go for territory. It's definitely three ter- territory, because as far as pop is concerned, for the 80s, this is top tier, but it's not the top most tier. I'm going to put it as a 3.25. Wow, significantly lower. So, for me, uh, wrapping up, I mean, you, you both said a lot that there is to say. I mean, the album, most of it is very face value as far as she's got... Some songs have strong messages, some have broader messages, some of them have no message. You know, well, but then again, I guess even wanting to party is a message. Um, but for me, I mean, I, listening to this album, I forgot how many hits I heard I, came from this record that I personally really loved. Um, and I'm more in line with John. I just feel like this is an album where Madonna is make is making and breaking rules. She's not revolutionizing the 80s, but she's definitely taking steps towards defining herself as an artist, and it happened on this record. Papa Don't Preach, you know, is very much... A huge part of her so is La Isla Bonita that kind of sexier sultry side of her like all of that is coming out on this record whereas why I feel like like a virgin she's singing about sexual a sexual topic but in a more immature way like a virgin is I feel like it's not being sultry or sexy it's just it's it's being more matter of matter of fact I'd argue that was punchier punchier okay but I think message-wise, I think she's growing into the woman that she will become, and the album reflects that. And that's why it's a little schizophrenic, because puber- puberty and beyond and getting becoming who you are as an adult, whether you reach it when you're 20, 25, 30, whenever you get to that point in your life where you realize this is my adult self, my version of me, it's not always easy and clear. It's, it's a schizophrenic time. Yeah, it's conflicting. And this album, I think, really defines that for her in her career and in her time of her life. And so that's why I'm more in line with John. I think it's a four. I don't think it's less than a four. I think it's the next tier of pop, but it's by no means a five. It's not a Prince or Michael Jackson. Michael, you know, Thriller to me, I still personally rate as the pinnacle of pop music, especially for the time. And I'll defend that in another podcast. But this is definitely approaching that territory. This is where you see, this is this is her skyrocketing point. And she builds and blows the doors off from here, you know, with tons of work. So that's why it, it sticks at a solid four for me, too. Well, I'm not just rating it against pop music, of course. I'm rating it against all music All music, music that's and out I'm there. doing the same thing. Yeah, so, you know. Well, the final word. I really love what you guys have to say. I feel like I've learned a lot. You know, I listened to this music, and I just... It's just something I didn't... I just enjoyed it, and it was just good pop music. And, um, you know, again, I think we talked a little bit about... Um, just video culture really took off during this time. Madonna and the Papa Don't Preach and Open Your Heart. It was very dancey and she was a she is a great dancer and has always had that be a part of it. So um, I'm wondering how much of that actually feeds into some of the response that I have because I'm thinking of the videos uh, when I'm listening to the songs like Las La Bonita has the, you know, she's in a beautiful dress and everybody's very, they're all dancing and it's... Um, and um, I think it's just a really, to me, it's just a really good pop album in that there aren't like super high expectations of, you know, depth or, or um, anything new or novel being introduced musically per se. I think it's definitely a, 
a production baby. I think this she you know this album is in, um, taking like you were saying, John, just a lot of different influences and really packaging it in a way that. Um, made it incredibly popular and accessible. Nothing is too much of anything in particular. Mm. And giving it a wide appeal, which is what it was. And, um, and you know, we even, you know, she self-admittedly says, you know, she's not the strongest singer. And we've, um, and, but the fact that this album really took off, I think it's just packaged really well. It's, it's produced really well. And it's, um, it's very much of its time. And to me, it's just a really great uh, pop album, exactly like popularly playing music that appealed to a lot of people. It's what popular is. And for that reason, I think it would, uh, in my books, it is a four. I don't think it's easy to write a really good, you know, put out a really good popular album. That in itself is, is uh, its, own, its own thing, so. Fair enough. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so now we'll take a small break. And um, so the next song that Rosmi is going to play for you guys is called Here Again, also featured from the new record Puzzle. So we'll take you to that. Let's 
That was great. Thank you so much for, for, for playing. Um, we're going to close out the show, of course, with, with one more song like we've been doing. Um, but it, it's been really a pleasure to have you. Um, I've gotten to know you pretty well today and over just talking through with you online. And I'm excited to see you perform more. I'm excited for the new record. But um, so you say you're, you're from Texas. Right. That's where you were born? Yes, I was born in Dallas. Mm. Is, is country a huge influence on your music? I do a lot of finger picking, um, so I do think that it is. Um, and I used to front a country band. Oh, really? And in or I yeah, and I, there was like a contest locally, and you know we placed, and it was it was it was a fun time. You were just doing what everybody else around you is doing. Sure, and, I'd imagine. Um, and so, yeah, definitely. And I also think you know country music has some really great. Uh, singers, so it was always good to to listen to. Um, it's one of those genres of music where the singing is actually still very important. Reba McIntyre can really sing. Oh, yeah. Natalie Maines can really sing. So it's it's not so much a a production operation. Um, so yeah, they're definitely they're definitely um, that's definitely an influence. And were you? Um a singer from a young age and a guitar player from a young age? No, I, I picked up the guitar much later in life. <laughs> um, I was always singing and I was in choir and, you know, doing that. And I was in my high school glee club. Um, <laughs> I came to the guitar later more out of, like, wanting to sing independently and not having to depend on someone. So between teaching myself and taking classes whenever I could, I, I started to... To play and compose on the guitar. That's why, why everyone goes to the guitar. They want <laughs> yeah. that independence. Right. And well, it, it also helps when writing your songs, and uh, you write all your own original work. Yes, uh, I do. I've written all the songs. That and this do. is something that we don't always preach, but where do you get your ideas from? That's one thing I've, I just always like asking people. Like, do you have a specific story to any, for any of your songs? I would just interrupt only because you said uh, uh, country music before. I was going to say that's another, apart from just having really good singers, they also have really, really good ballads. I think that's the whole thing that, that drives country music a lot is, is people's yeah, experiences I, in their right. hometown, people the they actually knew. It's very on the nose. It's very, uh, it's not going toward like it doesn't need to go toward the poetic end it just goes toward that so i was wondering if maybe you, if that's an inclusion in the answer by any chance yeah because the you're writing all the words where do they come from um you know sometimes i'll think of a lyric and i'll just write it down and sometimes i'll be playing like a series of chords and the lyrics just start to come through um and i can't say that it's always the same um you know i have a song called maintenance minder that um, I was, I was a friend was out of town and I was just moving her car for her, like car, you know, just street cleaning. And um, her, her, her dashboard was always lit up and you know, the maintenance minder was lit up. And it was just like something that stuck in my head. Um, and I ended up writing the song about that, but it, it was more of a metaphor for, um, uh, you know, in, the narrative being that um, flashing on and off, um, I see it every time the key turns in the car and, you know, hoping that it's going to make it. And it's really about, you know, me or the person, whoever's singing it, you know, um, 
hoping that the car is going to make it because there's all these warnings, but I still have to keep going. So, so it turns into this other thing when I'm writing it. So, I really like that metaphor. <laughs> no, I like that. That's that's a nice one. Yeah, no, that that's um that's one that I had never even considered. But because considering I I did have a check engine light that was on constantly, <laughs> never a thing that I would have considered writing a song for. But that's actually rather insightful. Well, um, you should probably gotten your car checked out. Well, now it's just sitting in the middle of my driveway unused. So there you go. It's one way to um, do what it. brought you to New York specifically? Um, I was actually doing. I am doing. I was doing a lot of theater at that time. Okay. And I came here to do that. And um, was I was playing my music at that time? I was like in a little of, of a cover band, and then I started to write my own stuff. So I, I started writing later, mm-hmm. and then like I wasn't writing as a teenager and stuff. Um, I always thought, wow, those people who write their own own songs—that's really cool. And um, <laughs> the same way. <laughs> and um, so then I was doing a lot of theater, and then I moved to LA for a few years, and that's when I really started writing music. And part of that was. It was just a very isolated culture, and I think I just had the time to to do it. And then um, I didn't really like living there, so I moved back. Um, and now it's like a mix of the music and getting out for TV and film. And I don't do as much theater anymore simply because of the time commitment, but right. it's definitely something. If a play that I really resonated with me came along, I would definitely... You know, but you do acting and voice acting as yes, well. Yes, I do. Cool. You think this traveling was directly related? Like you needed to be sort of away from home or step away from home for a while to kind of let the ideas flow? Um, you mean like moving away from Well, Texas? for instance, like when you spent the time in L.A. Yes, no, I definitely think there's something to, um, to being displaced that really objectifies your experience mm. and creates, you know, growth and... Um, and you know, you really start to question everything. And in my case, I went from a New York, very artistic theater, going from play to play to play, to very isolating kind of car culture, driving to an audition. And you could literally go the whole day without talking to another human being. And I felt like, you know, all of a sudden there was this huge difference between life in New York, where, you know, there's a sea of humanity always. And um, I think I just became aware of things in a way. There was a lot of growth. And from that, there was just a lot of writing and so yeah i would say that it kind of grew me up <laughs> i think that that displacement it actually goes back to like the old joke about com- composers and how they have to have their shack in the middle of the woods because <laughs> that is the level of displacement that they require in order to just sink into uh into inspiration and uh sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and not many of us get to have a shack but at least we can move so <laughs> and so did you actively pursue an acoustic kind of folk rock kind of sound or did you kind of just come to that naturally did you is it just naturally a progression from the country influence i think it is i mean i wasn't conscious of it as being oh this is i'm influenced by country and so but i was very drawn to like this acoustic sound um and you know you you can play a set of guitar a set of chords on an acoustic guitar for any genre of music right so um it yeah, definitely, you know, and then in L.A. I actually met this blues player, and that's where I kind of got the finger-picking, and um, he was really great. So just really hearing different different sounds and different things, and um, there's something about the guitar that can really simplify. I mean, I guess it's true for keyboard as well, but, you know, the just playing the chords, and then you can do whatever you want with the melodies, um, so. I see. I was curious about that. Is there any specific influence in your singing style? 
Um, so I was classically trained, like Western classical music, mm -hmm. and I think you know, I sang country, sang pop. Also, my parents, like I was telling you guys, they're from India, and so I was growing up listening to like Indian film soundtracks in the yeah, car sure. and at home. And I, def I definitely think that's something I picked up by ear. I'm not, I'm not trained in Indian music, but I definitely think it's an influence. And a lot of people, I definitely heard it in the work which we were probably listening to on this podcast. You can hear that slight little touch, and it was a very interesting fusion, considering that I don't often hear that with an acoustic guitar, and it's just that's different. Never been done, as far as I know. That's what I'm hoping for, that it just has its own unique thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, my next question about the album is, so are all the tracks written already? Yes. You, so you're just in the process of recording it? Yes, we're rehearsing to uh, to record, so really tightening the arrangements, sure. you know, really knowing the instrumentation, what else we want to bring in. I am a, right now a four-person band. Uh, I play acoustic, lead guitar, drummer, and bass, but then we're on some of the songs, I'm like, I'm wondering... You know, maybe a cello can guest star, oh, cool. or you know, maybe a different kind of percussion. So, awesome. really working that out in detail. Great. And so, um, and you said the the projected release is December. Yeah, December, January, because we're hitting, you know, coming into the holidays. So I don't want to. I think yeah, December, January is a safe bet. And so I'm curious because I haven't actually had a chance to a ask an artist who doesn't really have an album out, a full length album out. A lot of artists I know who are more independent or more self-driven release on Bandcamp or iTunes or wherever else. Do you have a main platform you're planning on releasing on, or do you, are you gonna? Well, I do have a CD, uh, Rainstorm, that's available right, sure. on iTunes. Oh, it is on iTunes. on iTunes, okay. And on CD Baby, and I believe on Amazon as well. Oh, cool. So, um, yeah, that's an EP, it's six songs. And um, this next one I'm gonna have on CD, and I'm gonna have it be on iTunes, and oh, cool. uh, yeah, and on my website as well, sure. which is, um, was which, Rainstorm your first release ever? Um, I did a, a four-track acoustic thing right before that, and then Rainstorm was like the full production, working with the producer in L.A. Interesting. Uh, I want to go back to something you said earlier, where you said you were a cover band. Oh, what did I, you I got to bring this up. What did you cover? Um, well, was was I talking about Texas or here? Uh, in Texas? Here. When you traveled first to here? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Right before you started writing oh, your own was, music. Um, actually, it's somebody, it, I was, to me, a cover band, I guess he, there was a guitarist who used to write songs, and I would sing the songs that he oh, wrote. Because oh, I was okay. before I was writing. Gotcha. And I thought other people wrote. <laughs> so I was singing his songs. Gotcha, okay. Oh, I, I was. He's uh, singing I cover band like you were covering Madonna's song oh. or something. <laughs> I did in high school. Oh yeah. Yeah. Are there parent? Do your parents have embarrassing videos of you singing Madonna they songs? Might. They might. In the YouTube culture, that might you be never know. Quite a releasing value. Yeah, yeah I'm saying especially it's very uh, specifically related to today's episode. That could be your next album, a nostalgic Madonna cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would decide project acoustic at best. nostalgic Madonna cover. You gotta add in the word acoustic. An acoustic. They're, sure. Acoustic. All right. Are there other genres you you are interested in dabbling in? Heavy rock, punk, or or pop, or do up, or do you kind of just like the place you're in? Um, I'm really curious about. Um, there are definitely different genres. I mean, I you know I sang a lot of standards in high school and stuff, so. Um, that those are an influence, and sometimes I'll hear something like Bossa Nova or you know Astro Gilberto, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's boss it's really great stuff, yeah. and I've sung that stuff too. Um, I did cover um, in high school. I we I was part of this band that did like 
um, Indian filmy music. So that was like a different little thing that we did. Oh, cool. That uh, is the most interesting cover I've ever heard of. <laughs> so there was like country in, in school, and then after school there was these group of kids that we'd get together and just sing that stuff. So I feel like these are all different influences. Um, I really like, uh, I mentioned country and... Yes, and I like the blues too, you know. And I actually have a blues song that's going to be on this, on this upcoming album. Oh, cool! Yeah, and I really like classical music. I don't sing it anymore, but I was, you know, a soprano, and I don't think I'm going to do an original classical, you know, album. But it's something that was definitely an influence. And um... that's funny. Apparently, uh, behind this this album today, True Blue, that was that was. What's supposed to be the big thing for this album is that it included a lot of class and classical influence, which I imagine was found in, in the first track and again also the fourth. Yeah, I, sure. I assumed that those string swells were taken from classical origins. So you know, again, you could you could sort of feed that into uh, into your music in the in the oddest of ways. Right. You I know? mean, that's where I'm kind of hearing the cello on some of my some of the tracks and. That yeah. I can, I think I could bring those in, and it would work well. It would work effectively. Well, yeah, and, could get you inspired to seek out session musicians. Yeah, that, and I think that adding that kind of an extra level to acoustic music really kind of gives it a depth yeah. that that really makes it stand out and pop. And that's that's really, I really like when acoustic guitars are accompanied by other string instruments, especially because it adds a different kind of dichotomy and depth to a song. Well, you have to have like a, a central. If you're going to have a central instrument, you might as well have things like framing it in the background. Sure. So I, I think very often. Acoustic guitar, it, it stands on its own, but sometimes it just begs to have the, the support. Well, we'll definitely have to try and have you back on in the new year to promote the new record. That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I'm very grateful that you, you came on the show today and picked such a great, fun record that I hadn't actually listened to in its entirety in a while. So. No, I'm so, glad you guys were open to it. And I really love what you guys had to say, so that was... That was great. We always one, like that. One thing, we would like an advanced copy of this new record coming Absolutely. Out. Don't hit me. Without, no. without question, I'd be happy <laughs> it would, to share it would that with all... you guys. <laughs> Don't hit me. Um, Not beggar. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting. Of course, this also leads back to, I met you through the way station and your performance there, which was what blew me away and made me want to pursue you for the podcast. Um, how did you discover the way station as a music venue? I'm always curious to hear, and I haven't really had been able to ask a lot of musicians to have had my fiance's band the wasties on and they've practically lived at the bar and they formed at the bar so that's why they performed there but how did you discover the way station um i was playing uh, a lot in the city at like uh, rockwood music hall and i live in brooklyn and um i have a lot of brooklyn friends and they're always like can you play in the city and i'm like the east village really isn't that far <laughs> and um so i literally one day just sat down and typed in like top music venues and in Brooklyn, and the way station came up, the rock shop came up. Um, there was a couple of places in Williamsburg, but I was like, <laughs> I was like one of my Brooklyn <laughs> friends. I was like, I'm not going to Williamsburg. I live in a different part of Brooklyn, so it was. Um, and I emailed them and sent them a link to my website and my tracks. And you know, within a week, they both called me back, and I had shows at the rock shop and the way station oh, within a cool. few months. Yeah, that's so awesome. It was really great. It was like, okay. I'm going to do this. I'm going to just play in Brooklyn. So, And it's kind of cool to hear that the way stations, because that's what Andy set out to do by having music almost every single night is he wants to be a music venue right. as well as a bar. And he's the fact that he's established it that much is pretty awesome. Yeah, so I played there in March and then he came up, Andy came up to me right after the show and was wanted me to be part of the Prospect Heights Music Festival. So I that's, remember, yeah. So that was, you know, it was really great. It's great to have community relations. I really think that's a wonderful space for art to grow and um, when you can go into a space where you feel like, you know, 
you people are looking forward to seeing you and really create and take risks and keep going back and having a great time. In the end, this is really about sharing and having a good time. Sure. And and it's a great environment for musicians, too, which is what I really enjoy going to see shows there, is that it's, it's about the music and it's also about having a good time. Yeah. But it's not like we only have this kind of music there. You could hear country, acoustic, folk, pop, funk. funk. Um, there's a really great funk band I saw there a little while ago. I can't remember the name of now, but also like I've heard rap there, like right. everything, and I think that's, that's really nice. The best thing about living in New York City, period, is you're bound diversity. to find a, you're bound to find a niche for whatever music you're doing at that time. Yeah, and and that's not something you can find everywhere, which is one of the greatest things about living here is being able to experience music on that level and pretty easily too. I mean, the way station doesn't charge a cover; it's just it's it's tip driven and and. People support local music, and it's really cool to see that. That, that was smart avoiding Williamsburg, though, because you never yeah. know what you're going to get there. That's, <laughs> that's, that's very true. That's dangerous. Um, do you have any specific projects or um, shows you want to promote coming um, up? Right now, the CD is the next the CD thing. is the big thing, recording. You know, we were at B&H last week looking at mics or singing into mics and listening. <laughs> so it's really about getting down to the technical stuff, making sure we have all the right stuff and looking at studios and... Um, seeing what they have to record drums. So we're right in the in the technical nitty-gritty of recording. Hopefully we're going to record this month if and if not then early November. So Cool. If and I have a show, I'll definitely, you know, let you know about absolutely. it. Absolutely, we'll definitely promote it on the show. Do you do you um do you That's plan on going out on tour? Um I'll see. You know, I really feel like um um there, I would I would be interested in touring places where I feel like I already have um, a following. I used to live in L.A. Mm -hmm. and then maybe Dallas and Chicago. Um, I don't... It's just going to depend. It depends on how this the CD release here goes. Um, because I'm not sure if going to a city where nobody knows you and playing your songs is really... Um, well, yeah, with the social things. media generation now, it's you can build an audience before you even get right. there. And I think that's a big help. Uh, speaking of social media, are we going to see any videos or anything like that for this new album? Yes, I, that is something that I would really like to do. I have a I have a, a music video right now on my website, and um, it's very popular. It's one of my other songs called Make Believe. I saw that. That was in the front page. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's I, was, I, I enjoyed that. I really like that one. Oh, yeah. good. So that's, you know, I would, I'd love to keep a, um, you know, a visual parallel to some of my songs, and I would... Um, I, the goal is to yes record uh, to shoot a music video to probably in the new year after the release. Any story behind the making of that music video and how the idea came? <laughs> I was living in LA and one of my neighbors was a DP and um, uh, he we, we talked about working together and we actually were talking about a, a film because I think I told you guys I act too and then we were music and you know music music videos are like these tiny little films there's like a five minute project as opposed to writing a screenplay for a 20 minute you know it's like sure. okay how about a music video and he really loved that idea and um and i gave him free reign i'm like you know i'll be the producer on this you do and he's like well i, I see a chicken and a bear I was like, all right let's do it <laughs> so i drove it could and not I, have been a better answer and i picked up uh, the costumes and and a copy of monopoly yes and the oprah magazine and we went in a lot of liquor bottles, and it was that's where we went from. Cool. There you go. Very cool. <laughs> um, well, again, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. It's been a blast, and we look forward to hearing the new record and having you back then. Um, that's and right. It's not begging. It's not begging, <laughs> as John said. It's it's, it's, I just like it's giving promotion. him a hard time. Pre-promotion. Pre but um, but it, it truly has been a blast to have you on and to get to know you a little better. It's it's a lot of fun, and I'm excited to see you perform again. Thank you. I'd, I'd love to share uh, my website with Sure, oh, go for it, absolutely. No, 
plug away, please. No, I just want, you know, because uh, I've had a really great time here, and I know, you know, Matt and I are um, friends on Facebook, so um, it's easy to find each other. And I'm at everythingrashmi.com. Mm-hmm. Do I got And my name is spelled R-A-S-H-M-I. And that's also my Facebook page, facebook.com slash everythingrashmi. Uh, if you hear us here, if you hear us today on Crash Chords, give my Facebook page a like, and I will send you a free song. All right, Ooh. great, excellent. Yeah, well, very cool. Just mention in your on the Facebook page, you know, after you give me a like, just say heard you on Crash Chords, and I'll I'll be happy to send you a free song. Cool, very cool. And we'll plug the website and link it in the post. <laughs> yeah, and um, and yeah, again, I'm just very thankful for you to be so open to this. I mean, I pretty much approached you. Here's the thing I do. Do you want to do it? And you've been very receptive. And you and... didn't yell out stranger danger, <laughs> which is what Matt, Matt usually gets. Yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, and we'll definitely, of course, send you the link once this, the show goes up on uh, on Thursday. And, and feel free to share it wherever. I will. Absolutely. So, thank you. Um, I, I like uh, mutual artist promotion. It's, it's really the future of social media and, and artistry in general. So... I like to help, especially local artists, if I like your music. I mean, I want the world to hear it. Right. No, this is what I was saying earlier. I think, really, it's a community effort. So I really, I, I personally have a lot of, um, you know, I have a lot of faith in community relationships. And um, I think that's really the way to go with arts. Yeah. Because um, if people today. like your stuff, they'll promote it, you know? Yeah. Well, they'll just talk about, you know, it's yeah. like, it's who's in your community and you want them, everybody to... The thrive and you know it's like oh I know that guy personally so oh, yeah he's got a podcast and I'm happy to recommend that because I know I know about it it's almost exclusively how we've operated at the moment <laughs> so uh, this is a good place to head into the wrap up um, before I talk about next week Steve has so we do a thing that we had not prepared you for we, we only get a very limited fan mail at the moment so we read spam email comments that come in on the website because you know robots are funny so Steve will give us one of his spam emails <clears throat> the trick is really an entertaining media to learn many a new units. Offer them in your luck. However, there is a great casino adventure does not always have that conversation. The level is varied and pretty entertaining and harmless way of containing multiple balls. And this game may, me- may necessitate the persistent and fast learner players in order to trigger the appropriate forum thread and soon Windows Mobile. These console games console-style games were limited in scope by the University of Texas at Austin Department of Computer Sciences. Where would, where would make Windows Mobile 6? <laughs> and, and the author of said brilliance? By hey. Farmville 2 cheat tool password. Well, that wasn't even about Farmville. Nope. It was about Doesn't mobile. Need to be. No, it was about mobile gaming and what society is coming to. That Shut up, John. We're spending John, all this John, John money. thinks it's no, funny it to break down the email emails? like we break down. Well, the I music. usually do a damn good job if you stop interrupting me. So, um, the final song that that Rashmi is going to play for us is called Shadows, which is after we we leave you here. We will end with that. But first, I would like Rashmi to do our sign off, if she wouldn't mind. Wait, no, we forgot. The album oh, for album for next week. We I'm have sorry. An album next week. So yes, we have an album next week. Shocker. We do an album every week. Um, but this one is special because it's our first fan submitted request that wasn't someone either of us knew previously. <laughs> and last week I did not read a spam mail. I read a fan mail from <laughs> Jose, who also goes by Knockjaw on the internet. Um, he recommended a album called Ohio by the band Daryl in all caps and bracketed. Um, we've not heard it yet. Um, but thank you, Jose, for the recommendation. We're going to do it next week. We will send you the link personally once that show goes up next week as well. But um, we're excited to hear something new recommended by a fan. 
Yep. I think that sums it up. <laughs> so if you would take us before your performance of Shadows uh, with our, our sign-off, and we will see you all next week, Internet. Thank you, everyone. Music is life, and life is good. You got yourself up against a wall I want to help you I can't reach that far Shadows play Hide and seek With the evening light Sunlight tries to hold her place But gives into the night to